Welcome to Invest in Women, the podcast series, your insight into the growing wealth of women and the issues that impact their business and yours. See what happens when you educate, empower, and invest in women. The Invest in Women podcast is so proud to have Schwab Advisor Services as our sponsor. Schwab is passionate about helping independent registered investment advisors find new ways to grow their business and attract diverse talent to our industry. Explore your path to independence at advisorservices.schwab.com. Welcome to Invest in Women, the podcast series. I'm Antoinette Rodriguez, social media editor at Financial Advisor Magazine. Our guest speaker for today's episode two is Perth Toll, founder of Life Ends Liberty Indexes. She's a former Fidelity financial advisor and provides expert commentary to top financial publications. Perth has a compelling and fascinating story to tell. Today, she will share how purpose, perseverance, and process helped her create the world's first freedom-weighted emerging markets strategy. Hello, Perth. Hello, Antoinette. It's great to be here with you. Nice to be with you. We talked earlier about how governmental policies can have unintended consequences. How did your experiences working and living abroad influence your formulation of your EM strategy? Yeah, thanks for asking. So I grew up in both China and the U.S. I was born in Beijing and I came to the U.S. around age nine. After college, I went back and lived in Hong Kong um, for about a year, traveling throughout mainland China and also um, border cities to Hong Kong. And um, I realized when I was back there that uh, freedom made a difference in my life and also in the markets in these various places. So I had a friend in Shanghai who um, was the same age as me, was the same as me in every other way. Um, except that she didn't exist on paper. So due to the one-child policy in China, um, her parents chose to register her brother for school under a real name. Um, and then she had to register under a, a fake surname. Um, and this is, there are a lot of um, children in China who uh, have this experience, and they are the lucky ones. There are actually 30 million missing women in China now due to the one-child policy. Um, this was a policy that changed the culture of my generation. Um, when they went to two-child and three-child policies, no one was having more than one child, and uh, the entire culture has changed. There's also economic considerations as well. So that was one of the things that made me realize, okay, so that could have been me, and um, freedom made a difference in my life. Um, also, I saw the, the various markets at the time in Hong Kong and China were very different, um, also the U.S. And so... So I, I started to explore the impact of freedom on markets at that time. Wow, 30 million. Yeah, that's actually the official estimate by Chinese think tanks. And some others have it up to twice that. Please explain the basics of FRDM for those in our audience who don't know what it is. Yeah, so FRDM is the ETF based on the Freedom 100 Emerging Markets Index. And that index is something that I created to... Give investors a way to invest in emerging markets and participate in the tremendous growth potential there without funding autocracies and also to give freer markets a higher weight. So, uh, in emerging markets, in indexes and funds, typically they're market capitalization weighted, 
which means the biggest companies and the biggest markets get the biggest weight. And as a result, China has about a 30 plus percent weight in most emerging markets, indices and funds. And, um, and that's right now due to the mostly the market crash in China. But um, at its height in re- recently, August 2020, it was 41% in MSCI-based emerging markets indices and 45% in FTSE-based emerging markets indices. So if you were in VWO, EEM, or IEMG, that's how much you had in China in your broad emerging markets diversified index. So that's a lot in one country, and it's a lot of concentration. But China isn't the only uh, autocracy that we need to worry about. The emerging markets are full of autocracies and countries just coming out of autocracies. It's also uh, got some very free countries like Taiwan, South Korea, Chile, and so forth. Um, And all of these countries have their own issues. No one is 100% free or 100% unfree. Um, But relatively speaking, you have a high dispersion within the emerging market space, whereas you don't have that in developed markets, which are mostly pretty homogenous and pretty free. Um, So in the emerging market space, especially, we saw an opportunity to add value by doing freedom weighting instead of market capitalization weighting. And this gives us a much freer country set where we give the freer countries a higher weight, the less free countries a lower weight, and the freedom weighting algorithm automatically Um, excludes the worst autocracies. So since the launch of the fund in 2019, we've never had any exposure to China, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Turkey, and so forth. So um, we've been able to avoid the China drawdown, the Russia sanctions, making it completely uninvestable and being written down to zero. So we've had very stark uh, outperformance in the history of the fund in the last three years because of these extremely uh, these extreme events. So um, I wouldn't expect that every year, but we do we will continue to exclude the worst autocracies and also give the freer countries a higher weight. What when you say freedom and words free, what what do you mean? Exactly. So that's a great question. So we use third party quantitative metrics for freedom scoring. And we, so this is the, the Cato Institute and the Fraser Institute. These guys are um, world-renowned econometricians when it comes to freedom metrics. And they have a system where they use 79 different variables that go into their country score for 150, 165 countries. And we just take the 27-country emerging markets universe out of that. Um, they score everything from personal freedoms to economic freedoms. And that's why I use this data. One of the reasons I use this data set is it's the only one that has both personal and economic freedoms. And I actually categorize it into three different categories, civil freedoms, political freedoms, and economic freedoms. Civil freedoms are things like terrorism, torture, trafficking, disappearances, women's freedoms, I would categorize in this category. Um, And those are missing women, um, women's rights to movement, women's rights to children after divorce, women's rights to inheritance, and so forth. So that's civil freedoms. And then political freedoms are things like due process, judicial independence, rule of law, freedom of speech, media, expression, assembly, religion, and so forth. And then economic freedoms are things we're all familiar with, like taxation, private property rights, business regulations, sound monetary policies, Um, And actually, the freer markets tend to have less inflation historically, uh, and then business regulations and trade policies. So the more trade, the better. So all of these added together 
make up a composite country score. Um, our data providers at Cato and Fraser equal weight every single one of the 79 variables. And we take the composite score. We don't, we don't, we don't mess with their, um, like we don't pick and choose variables. And that's just to keep complete third-party objectivity. So we take the composite score of all 79 variables and run that through our freedom weighting methodology. And that methodology will come out with country weights that are derived from those scores. We were talking about how a person's passion could many times lead to a purpose. When did you realize that the EM strategy that you were pursuing had a much larger purpose? So I think at the time that I was thinking of doing this, I knew that it was something that I personally wanted um, and something that I wanted to exist out there. But when I actually started doing it, um, a lot of things happened to kind of confirm that this needed to exist and that this was something that was bigger than me. So, and it needed to be bigger than me because I, I wasn't big enough to make it happen myself. So, so, you know, one of those things, you know, how I met my partner, Rob Arnott, um, who is the chairman of research affiliates in Newport Beach. A lot of people will be familiar with him and his fundamental indices. He's a pioneer in the ETF and indexing space. And in a sense, he was, you know, he's the reason why we're all here in ETS is we're all variations on market cap weighting. And he was the first one to do that or one of the first ones to do that and popularize it. So he, he was one of the first people I wanted to talk to when I left Fidelity and started this very slowly. And I, I'm, I, I had a young child at the time, so um, it went slowly, but I called uh, research affiliates and I was like, hey, you guys are doing non-cap weighted indexing. I want to do non-cap weighted indexing. Do you want to partner on this? And they were like, no, <laughs> please go away. And so I couldn't get past the very effective gatekeepers at Research Affiliates. Um, I kept on trying to learn more about the space. I went to some you know, financial advisor conferences. I went to ETF conference where I learned uh, or where I met this uh, friend of mine now, Ralph, who invited me to speak at his uh, CFA societies, these tiny CFA societies in Tennessee. So I went and spoke at his societies, and then they recommended me for the forecast dinner in the T Tampa CFA Society. And this was my first year doing this. I had no idea what was going on. And I was on the panel with a guy named David Kotak, who runs an RIA in Sarasota, BlackRock, and Morningstar. After the panel, David invites me to this thing he has called Camp Kotak. And this is a very exclusive fishing retreat um, that... 50 economists and you know, finance luminaries go to every year um, in the north woods of Maine, like literally almost Canada. And I was like, who does this? And at the time they had no Wi-Fi except in the kitchen. And so, <laughs> so four days with no Wi-Fi fishing, which I don't normally do. So I was like, I don't know uh, if I want to go to this thing. Uh, but my friends were like, yeah, you should go. You know, you can meet Barry Ritholtz, who um, you know, does the Masters in Business podcast for Bloomberg, and he's really cool. And so I was like, okay, fine. So, so I go. And um, on my way there, I had some meetings in New York and Boston. I was coming in from LaGuardia. And I had planned to take a car, but then at the last minute, decided to take a seaplane. So I called the seaplane company. And I said, hey, I'm coming in from LaGuardia today. Is it too late to get a seaplane? And they were like, no, you can share with Rob Arnott. 
because it's two seats per plane and he doesn't have anyone else to share his particular plane. So I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, um, here's his flight number. Just go intercept him at the airport. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I go and I intercept Rob Arnott, who I, you know, admired and wanted to talk to for so long and his company gate, you know, the gatekeeper, I couldn't get past. And, you know, I had a captive audience in a two seater plane where he had no choice, but to hear what I wanted to do and with the freedom waiting. And so he got to hear the idea um, on the plane and we all fished together for the next four days or so. Um, and he loved the idea. He is a big proponent of emerging markets, big, big freedom guy and uh, loves non-cap weighted indexing. So this was a combination of those three things. And, um, and he was like, I'd be you know, willing to help you. And I said, well, how about you get on a call with me um, with a potential seed investor that was trying to raise seed money for the fund. And that would give me some additional credibility. Um, and he was like, okay. So he gets on the call with me. This is like maybe a month after camp. And uh, the client doesn't choose to invest. And after the call, he says, I'll put in a million. And so, <laughs> so he became my first seed investor in the fund. Now, this is not something that I could have orchestrated. I tried to talk to research affiliates um, and they had no interest. And Rob doesn't go to this camp every year. He's never been back since this particular time. And he was there seven years prior to this particular time. He only went back this particular year to pay a bet that he lost to Barry Ritholtz. So... This was not, I mean, this was not something I could have orchestrated. Um, so that's one of those, those things. And I have multiple stories like this where it became clear that this was bigger than me and um, that it wasn't me alone who was going to make this happen, that this was an idea that needed to exist. And, you know, sometime before that, I had also decided that I'd rather try this and fail than not try it at all. And so, you know, it was hard to leave Fidelity. Fidelity is great. And I still refer people there. Um, I loved my team. I loved, you know, everything about it. And uh, I found in it, you know, my security and, you know, recognition and all of those things, identity. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I knew this was something that had to exist. And I felt like I was the only one that was willing to do it at the time. So I continued trying to, you know, after Rob committed his seed, I continued trying to shop the idea. At first I wanted to um, license it to issuers. So I spoke with iShares, SSGA, basically every issuer you can think of, I spoke to, and um, they all turned it down. And there were some mid-sized issuers who wanted to do it and made me terrible deals where they basically I become an employee of the firm and then they own everything. At some point, I started agreeing to these deals and uh, and then almost came to an agreement with one of them, and then they backed out last minute. So it just never worked out. And and then you know this was probably 2017, and then at the beginning of 2018, when the last one backed out, I was like, okay. I'm going to have to do this on my own if I want to do it. And to do that, I'm going to have to raise money because ETFs are expensive to run. And I didn't know that I would have to do that because I thought I was just going to license it out. Uh, but no one wants it. So I, now I have to do it on my own. And um, that's when I told Rob, hey, look, I, no one wants this. I'm going to have to do it on my own. Um, so we'll have to raise money for that. And if you want to be a part of that, you have to let me know and have that conversation with me because I don't know how to raise funds. So eventually he became um, an investor in our company and 
because of that, we were able to to launch the firm and launch our fund. So all of that worked out um, in the end. And now I'm glad we did it that way because we get um, most of the the revenues versus licensing would have been very uninteresting as far as our share of the revenues. So um, so so you know that's I'm, I'm very thankful for that. We also had a lot of support from the industry, from people in media who, you know, gave us their platforms like you're doing here. Um, But in the very beginning, it was very important to have that message go out because we didn't have, uh, we we still don't have a sales team. In the beginning, it was because we couldn't afford one. Now it's because I realized we don't need one. Um, And we just, I just did what I could to get the message out as widely as possible. Well, that's the great segue, <laughs> intercepting Rob Barnett and getting a seaplane, which I love, right? I'm a yeah. girl, so I think that's really exciting. Uh, so we're moving on to the, the subject of perseverance. Nelson Mandela said that it always seems impossible until it's done. Creating the world's first freedom-weighted EM strategy might fall into that category. How did your early life experiences shape your perseverance? Yeah, you know that's a really good quote. Actually, um, I I can't compete with anything. I mean, this is this is just a little fun. It doesn't compete with anything the true freedom fighters of our time, like Nelson Mandela, has done. Um, and just likewise, it was I was highly inspired by what the protesters in Hong Kong were doing at the same time that we launched our funds. We launched in May May twenty third, two thousand nineteen, and the protests in Hong Kong started in the beginning of June. So, you know, these guys who gave their lives and futures to stand up for freedom, um, those, these people are my inspiration. Um, and, you know, what we're doing is very small compared to that, but um, I'm thankful to get to do it. And, and I think as far as early life experiences that shape that, I mean, I grew up in a single parent home um, in Plano is still a very, I think, cushy upbringing. Uh, I mean, I always had food and shelter, so um, really nothing to complain about, but, you know, I, basically brought myself up, you know, my mom was working because she's single. And, uh, and so in a land of like in America, where we do have the freedom to at a certain age, get a job, um, take control of our own finances. I think, um, you know, I worked since I was 14, uh, lying about my age didn't, or just didn't mention that I wasn't 15, um, <laughs> at a fast food restaurant and, um, uh, and started there and never stopped working since. So, um, and that gave me a lot of, I think when I started working, I had a a sense of empowerment in that, Hey, I can, I can make money as long as I'm willing to work. And, um, and now I can be independent. And so I, I can take control of, you know, I can do what I want. And, and the reason why I got that job was to pay for summer camp that my mom didn't want to pay for. So I think from that point on, knowing that, in, in a country where as long as I was, was willing to work, I could do what I wanted and um, have some financial freedom. Um, so, so that's economic freedom, right? At its, uh, in, in real life. And so, um, so I'm thankful for that. And, um, and I think that probably did have some impact on, um, no one can tell me that I can't do something now. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, you know, I was able to you know pay for summer camp at age fourteen and and everything else I wanted since then as a result. So um, maybe not as a result, but just continue to um, have that experience. And, and I'm, I'm I'm glad for that as well. So 
that's part of the economic freedom that we think everyone should have. And um, in emerging markets, that's just not the case. So, um, so that's what we're trying to do is, is make sure that we're investing in countries where they do have those freedoms. Well, segueing uh, your background and your mom, we were talking about how the birth of our children yes. created kind of this fork in the road, the proverbial work-life balance. Yes. Can you talk to us about how you uh, balance what your philosophy is? Yeah. So, um, so, you know, my child was very young when I left Fidelity and uh, she was, I believe, three. Being a mom and trying to do, you know, start your own company, um, I gave myself the grace to have a season where I went very slow. And so if you look at, you know, how, how long it took me to launch this fund, my friends actually joke about it to me and be like, oh, it's about time, you know? So <laughs> when I launched, and so, so yeah, no, they, uh, I think being a mom was a big part of actually me having the courage and feeling like I had the authority to start my own company. Because as you know, being a mom does give you that sense of authority that you never that's nothing like anything you've ever had before. So, um, so it does kind of boost that kind of self-confidence, but also um, it, it could give you doubts as to, can I actually do this? Because I'm so busy um, being a mom to a young child. And, you know, one of the things that I learned through this is that it actually, if you, if you, if you really call to something, you will be equipped to do it and nothing can stop you. And actually being a mom helps me with my work. Um, it helped me take that step of faith out um, from a very cushy job into this because I remember the, the night that she said to me, Hey, mom, I want to, she said she was three, so she couldn't really articulate much, but she said, I want to go back to the school that she was at before. When I went back to work full-time at Fidelity, she changed from her mother's day out program to a full-time school. She did not like this full-time school. And, you know, uh, and she, and we had been having problems with that school. And then one night she told me, I want to go back to the, you know, Mother's Day Out program. And I, I knew that when that happened, because it was nine to two instead of all day long, I knew that my days of fidelity were numbered. And so from that point on, I was planning my exit. And, um, and so that's one of the reasons why I was able to, um, you know, I, it was another push to leave. The job that I loved. And also, you know, there's times when uh, my mom friends helped me with this work. Uh, my friend Monica did all my graphics in the beginning. And then one day I was dropping off my kid at a summer program. Um, she was doing the same. And I was like, Monica, we're going to launch the index, but I can't think of a ticker. So, you know, we've tried life, we've tried all these other things um, and nothing's available. Can you, can you help me think of a ticker? And later that day, she texts me from the grocery store and she says, what about FRDM? And I was like, oh, that's, that's perfect. And so that's our ticker now. And it's our ticker for our fund. So, um, so, so yeah, I think um, being a mom is a huge part of what I do. Um, I think, I, I don't think that as women, we have to separate the two. I mean, we, we do need to separate the two somewhat because I, you know, like I don't bring her to work conferences or things like that. It's just too much stress. Um, <laughs> unless you're in a place where you can bring a nanny as well. Um, but, you know, I think it's, it's present to be uh, it's important to be present in in both work and family, but also I think the two can be symbiotic. And you know, just like this is never a question um, when it comes to men whether you can have a family as well. I, I think you know with the with the advances that we have technologically, like 
washing machines, dishwashers, uh, robo vacuums. You know, we don't need to think about, oh, is it possible for a woman to, to work anymore? It's a really, it's a symbiotic thing. It's a part of life, just like it is for a man. So, um, so yeah, I'm thankful for that as well. Hi, thank you so much for that, Perth. And, and I know you'll speak to the hearts and souls for a lot of our female financial advisor audience. You've already discussed FRDM's processes and met- methodology as guiding lights. What is the best way for financial advisors to position FRDM and are there ideal clients? Yeah, so we have two types of clients that that buy the product. One is the client that wants to align their values for freedom with their emerging markets investments. And the second is the client who believes that freer emerging markets will outperform. So, and there's overlaps. For example, I am both, right? So, um the freer emerging markets do tend to have more sustainable growth instead of debt-driven, state-mandated growth like Evergrande. Um, they tend to, to recover faster from drawdowns, so because they have more flexibility to return to respond to market trends, and it's not this like top-down central central government telling you what to do. Um, so they recover faster, and we saw that in the recovery in 2020, where freer markets outperformed the broad emerging markets emerging markets ESG and emerging markets ex-China. So it's not just an ex-China story either. It's just the higher ways to freer markets actually do work. Um, and the freer markets tend to allocate their capital more efficiently. They're both personal and economic capital. So we saw the massive shareholder destruction in Chinese equities over the past year or so um, due to government capriciousness. And um, we see that these, these autocracy risks are real in both China and Russia. So um, the freer markets, they, they have less of these problems, less capital flight or capital destruction. So I would say that the ideal client is someone who knows the benefits of freedom and wants to allocate accordingly. Well, thank you, Perth. I know that our financial advisors are asking the same question I am, which is how do we learn more? And do you have any tools you could provide to FAs to help position FRDM? Sure. So I would go to freedometfs.com, which is our website. And on there, you can find the fact sheet, the latest data on the fund. Um, We just got rated by Morningstar because we just turned three years old and we are a five-star fund. And uh, you can go to Morningstar for information as well or anywhere else you research your funds. Um, If you have any questions on the website, freedometfs.com, you can contact us and you know, myself or a member of my team will get back to you with your questions and be happy to set up um, a meeting to talk with your investment team as well. On behalf of Financial Advisor Magazine, we would like to thank you, Perth, for your contribution to our Invest in Women mission. To all of you, our audience and our sponsor, Schwab Advisor Services. In our next Invest in Women podcast, episode three, our guest will be Cheryl Hickerson. She founded Females and Finance in 2018 with a simple mission to create a more inclusive landscape for financial service professionals. You won't want to miss episode three. Thank you for listening to Invest in Women, the podcast series, your insight into the growing wealth of women and how to attract and retain your female clients and help scale your practice. Learn more by subscribing to this podcast or visiting fa-mag.com.